Good morning. Yes, my name is Chris Estes, and I'm the uh, I am in charge of the recovery ministries around here. So, hi, Chris. Yeah, very good. All right, listen to this portion of the story of God as it is written in the book that breathes life. From the third chapter of the Gospel of John. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah. I think the video did a great job of explaining the Scripture and more. Daryl's in the sanctuary right now, and I'm sure he's going to exegete this, and it's going to be a beautiful teaching. So if you want to go over there now, I, I understand. It's all right. It's good. You're released. Uh, all right. Well, they told me I had to say something, so here I am. At any rate, what you're going to get from me is some recovery talk, and you're going to get some ridiculous stories. And then hopefully we'll get some spiritual insight out of that. So that's what we're doing here today. All right. Some people depicted in the Gospels followed Jesus instantly and enthusiastically when he called them. They dropped what they were doing and became his disciples overnight. There are people today that testify to the same response and can point to a date on the calendar when their life was changed by him in a moment. The Gospels also tell of people who came to Jesus hesitantly through twists and turns of questions and curiosity. That's Nicodemus. He first visited Jesus under the cover of darkness because he didn't want anyone else to know that he was interested in this man's teachings. He was also concerned about how his neatly packaged life might be disrupted if he chose to follow Christ. He was confused and didn't understand. He wanted to figure it out, but he couldn't. But it seems that eventually, his seeking led to finding. The story here is saying to me this. A spiritual awakening is not necessarily an event. It is an unfolding journey. A journey initiated and led by the Holy Spirit. A journey that all are invited to and empowered to take. Our job is to seek. The Spirit makes sure we find. When I was in high school, I also worked nights and weekends at a supermarket, stocking shelves, running the cash register, bagging groceries. As I studied this passage from the Gospel of John this week, I was reminded of a classmate at the school 
and a co-worker at the giant market. Can't remember the classmate's name. In fact, I didn't know him well at the time. I do remember the big red button he wore all the time. It said, get smart, get saved. I didn't understand what that meant. In upstate New York in the late 1970s, saved and born again were not terms I had ever heard, nor had most people I knew, I suspect. To those who had heard these terms, they probably conjured up visions of hellfire and brimstone and southern evangelicalism. Many of my friends from the old country still think that. I once asked my classmate, what did the phrase, get smart, get saved, mean? I was still confused about what it meant after the conversation ended. He talked about something happening to him on a certain date, which changed the way he thought about everything. It caused him to change friends and interests and reasons for living. I liked my friends and interests and reason for living, which included a newfound interest in drinking with my friends. By the end of the conversation, I did understand one thing. I wasn't going to ask anybody about a button again. At the supermarket was a man named Nate. He was a little older, probably early 20s. He wore the same button. One night as I was stocking cans of Campbell's in the soup aisle, Nate rounded the corner and approached me. He asked me if I knew Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and if not, would I like to? After responding, uh, I don't know, he started talking and talking and talking and talking. I stood and stared and nodded my head up and down as if in agreement, when in fact I had no idea what he was talking about. I remember some talk similar to that of my classmate. New life, interests, thinking, etc. But I also remember a negative edge to the story, which included me being sinful and unacceptable to God and bound for hell unless I was born again or saved. He knew the day and time it happened for him. Well, I was saved that day from the conversation. About five seconds later, the manager of the store came around, walked up the aisle, and started yelling at us for gabbing and told us to get back to stocking. Some years later, I was changing channels on the TV with my new remote control. Yes, new remote control. Listen, my children, and you shall hear of a time when you couldn't just sit on your rear. You had to stand up to change the TV. But then we were blessed with the invention of the remote control. Since I wasn't yet practiced at the art of remote control operations, while flipping between the new entertainment and sports programming network and MTV music television, I somehow got stuck on a crusade. Something was happening in a stadium full of people. They were being invited to come forward for prayer. I remember the camera focusing on a particular older couple as they came down the stairs, onto the floor, walking hand in hand and up towards the front. I remember thinking, I don't know what exactly is happening here, but I guess someday I'll need to do something like that, whatever that is. I then regained control of the remote control operations and continued switching between Australian rules football and headbangers ball. At the time, I wondered, where did that thought come from? Today I know where it came from. 
Actually, I know who it came from. At some point, my previous life purpose of drinking with my friends turned into drinking with anybody's friends, enemies, or acquaintances, or just by myself. I was walking around life with knots in my stomach and squirrels in my head. My medicine was a drink. It worked for a long time, but as it always does with an alcoholic, it quit working and turned on me. I was depressed and anxious under the care of a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and a pharmacist. Nothing was working, including the booze. It was time to start. It was time to stop. Now, I had my last drink on July 24, 1999. The wind blew me into AA the next day. There I found a community of people that immediately welcomed me and seemed to have a solution. I discovered that I was a sick person trying to get well, not a bad person trying to get good. They explained to me that I had a fatal progressive illness with no known medical cure. But there was a solution. Now, I had no clue at what the solution was at the time or even what they meant. But willingness to get better and an honest desire to stop made me open-minded enough to listen. While listening, what I eventually heard in the meeting was this. Zebras have stripes, alcoholics drink, and it takes an act of God to change either. I thought, man, I'm toast. <laughs> I, I missed that class growing up. You know, I believed in God and prayed, but was confused about Jesus and clueless about the Holy Spirit. Adding to my anxiety was the testimony of Bill W., AA's co-founder, in his story from the AA's basic text known as the Big Book, first published in 1939. Here's what he said. <clears throat> These were revolutionary and drastic proposals, but the moment I fully accepted them, the effect was electric. There was a sense of victory, followed by such a peace and serenity as I had never known. There was utter confidence. I felt lifted up as though the clean, great clean wind of a mountain blew through and through. God comes to most men gradually, but his impact on me was sudden and profound. Like Nicodemus, I wondered, how are these things possible? This all sounded a lot like the guys with the buttons. I didn't understand it back in school or at the supermarket, and I didn't understand it here in early AA. I'd ask God to help me. All he did was send me to these stupid meetings. There hadn't been any great change in attitude or ideas. No grand visions or emotional upheavals. A sponsor in recovery is a person who is like a spiritual director. Mine is a beautiful na man named Big Book Dick. He helped me through the difficulties of early recovery, introduced me to the fellowship, and guided me through the 12 steps. When I told him that I was concerned because I missed the whole religious thing growing up, he told me not to worry about it. You don't have to know God to get to know God, he said. You also don't have to have clean hands before you use the soap. He showed me a passage in the big book that said, Probably no human power could relieve us of our alcoholism. But God could and would if he were sought. You know what we're doing here, Chris? No big book, Dick. What are we doing? We're sorting. We do the sorting, and God makes sure we find. The process yields the results.
He also pointed out a part of, one part of the big book that was added after the first printing in 1939. It reads, Our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have ne nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, since such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James call the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the differences long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Kind of like the bomb that went off that Nicodemus was talking about. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. If you don't get it all at once, that's okay. The Spirit leads one day at a time, one moment, one connection, one relationship, one experience, one step at a time. To wrap this up, I'm here to report that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Also, the Spirit led me one day to answer an altar call where I professed this. I still struggle with the idea or the doctrine of a God that would send most of humanity to eternal conscious torment based on anything, much less whether their beliefs conform to some sort of evangelical standard. But I must say, there is something about blessed assurance. Let's go back to the Gospel of John in the 19th chapter to see where the Spirit led Nicodemus. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. We don't know exactly the life journey that Nicodemus took before or after his encounter with Jesus. What events led Nicodemus to seek him out at night in the garden? What life events compelled him to accompany Joseph of Arimathea to take the body of the crucified Jesus away? What led him to bring the myrrh and aloes to prepare his body? We don't know what, but we do know who. The wind blows wherever it wants, as Jesus said. The wind you can hear but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. 
The wind, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit led Nicodemus and leads us on our journey. The journey of our lives in the kingdom of God. The journey of a spiritual awakening. Let's listen this week for the Spirit's leading. In the big book, we were promised that God could and would if he were sought. Let's be sorters. We might find life anew. We just might be born again and again and again and again. The third step of recovery reads, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Now in the big book, there's a specific prayer that many of us use. My friend Holly C. is an Episcopal priest in, the Southern, in Southern California. She's also in recovery. This week she shared with me what she calls an Episcopalian's version of the third step prayer. It's from the Book of Common Prayer. Let's pray this together. Are we ready? Let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills, that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated unto you, and then use us, we pray, as you will, and always to your glory and the welfare of your people. Through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, thy will not be, not, thy will, not mine, be done. Amen. Thank you.